You're listening to Defending the Biblical Roots of Christianity, an apologetics and theology podcast hosted by Professor R.L. Solberg. For more information about our ministry, visit thebiblicalroots.org. Man, I have to tell you, I was really convicted at church this week. We're in the middle of working our way through the book of Philippians, and our pastor, Tony Calabrese, really brought a great message about how we can authentically live out our faith. And I'm going to link to his sermon below because it's worth watching. Now, he didn't speak directly to Torahism and the Hebrew Roots Movement, but the application of his message to those theologies is striking. Now, on this channel, we do a whole lot of theology where we dig into scripture and we try to rightly understand what it tells us about issues like the Sabbath and kosher food and the feasts and all the other Torah rituals that so occupy the the hearts and minds of our Hebrew roots friends. But today, I want to talk more about the personal and practical side of Torahism for followers of Jesus. Now, we're going to talk about what I think is probably the biggest danger of Hebrew Roots theology, and we're going to do so by unpacking a passage in Philippians uh, chapter 3 and and talk about living out our faith and how Hebrew Roots theology and being a Torah-observant Christian can lead us away from the heart of our Heavenly Father. And I'll, I'll do my best to channel Pastor Tony's wisdom. In fact, pretty much all the good nuggets I'm going to share are his. The passage we're going to be looking at is Philippians 3, verses 2 through 11. And the book of Philippians is actually a letter that Paul wrote to the church in the Roman colony of Philippi. He wrote it to thank them for the aid that they had sent to him and and let them know that he's sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi. And here in chapter 3, he spends some time warning them about the false teachers among them. So let's start by reading through this whole passage. And there are a lot of applications here for us. So starting at verse 2, Paul writes, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I have, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead." 
So Paul's warnings in this passage point to one group of people. When Paul says dogs and evildoers, he's talking about those within the church. So, so these are fellow believers who are undermining the work of Yeshua by teaching that all Christians have to follow the Jewish law and keep all these religious duties. Now, this might be the same group that he referred to in chapter 1. And these evildoers, Paul uses the derogatory term dogs, are causing disruption from inside the church. They're fellow believers who want to reframe Christianity through the lens of religious performance. In verse 2, he accuses them of mutilating the flesh. Paul uses the Greek word katatome here, which, which could be rendered mutilation, to say that anyone who gets circumcised, thinking that'll somehow gain them membership in God's family, is disfiguring themselves for no reason. Because of the work of Jesus, circumcision is no longer required for membership in God's covenant people. Paul writes in verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. So not those who are physically circumcised, it's those who worship by the Spirit. And he adds that we glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And right there is the crux of the problem that Paul is warning the church about. The dogs are those in the church who are putting their confidence in the flesh. They're putting their confidence in their human effort. They aren't denying Jesus, but for them, it was Jesus plus something more. They probably wouldn't state it this openly, but, but what they're really saying is that, hey, we love Jesus, and, and we believe in his sinless life and the cross and, and his resurrection, but that's not enough. They're teaching, just like our, our Hebrew Roots friends are teaching today, that there are things we need to add to our faith in order to be mature Christians, to add to our righteousness in God's eyes, or add to our salvation. And the dogs at Philippi were putting their confidence in that something extra other than Jesus. Which is why, starting in verse 4, Paul reminds them of his own impeccable credentials. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. This is kind of a, a smackdown from Paul. He's saying to those false teachers, hey, you think your religious performance is solid? Hold my beer. Well, he wouldn't have used that phrase, of course, but the point he's making is that he far surpassed these false teachers at their own game of religious one-upmanship. You think you're good at following the rules? Paul says, look at my resume. And here's the thing. Paul wasn't parading his credentials to show how great he was, but rather to show that he used to be where those false teachers are now. He used to put his confidence in those things, but something happened. On a road outside of Damascus, on his way to persecute believers, Paul had a life-changing encounter. He met the risen Jesus. He came to faith and he was saved and his whole world was turned upside down. And because of this radical transformation at the feet of Jesus, Paul realized his personal performance had no value. Even, those, even though these were things he was really good at doing and he passionately pursued his whole life, after meeting Jesus... Paul suddenly realized what all his accomplishments and religious performance amounted to. Verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He writes, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, right? He's saying, not putting my confidence in my religious performance or credentials. In fact, he calls his big, impressive resume of righteous accolades rubbish. And the ESV translation is actually being pretty polite about it there. The Greek word Paul uses for rubbish is skuvalon, which means animal dung. Paul's saying, in, in comparison to the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus, all my religious performance and my lifelong credentials are just a big pile of, well, you know, camel poop. We can't put any confidence in our human activities and religious pedigrees or treasure them as valuable once we've met Jesus. Paul's not saying that those things are wrong or bad, but that they pale in comparison, that they're as worthless as fecal matter compared to knowing Jesus. And, and that keeping those things doesn't add a thing to our righteousness. He's teaching that it's not where our confidence or our focus should be placed. And you can tell from his tone, he, he's kind of worked up about it. He's mad, right? It's kind of like if you saw that recent news story where those climate activists threw that tomato soup all over that beautiful original Van Gogh painting. It's like, no, what are you doing? Right? Paul saw the self-righteousness of these false teachers as defacing a beautiful and precious thing. It was toxic. It was hurting and sabotaging Christ's bride, the church. It's the same thing that angered Jesus. Jesus warned about the yeast or leaven of the Pharisees in all three synoptic gospels, and he was referring to their hypocrisy and self-righteousness. And as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? The idea being that even the smallest amount of self-righteousness, of, of trying to make ourselves right with God through external religious performance, and, and looking down on other believers who don't live out their faith in the way we think they should, the, the smallest amount of self-righteousness can poison the ministry of the church and the faith of believers. As Pastor Tony said, even a little bit of self-righteousness will choke out the grace of Jesus in our lives if we're not careful. And when it comes to knowing Yeshua and being in right standing with God, Paul's teaching us that, that our lists of religious activities are like, like bringing a pile of manure to God and saying, hey, I did this for you. Psalm 51 says, For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. This is the opposite of self-righteousness and religious performance. It's a humble spirit, sorrow for our sins, and dependence on God, not our performance, for our righteousness. These are the things that touch the heart of our Father. So Paul's teaching in Philippians 3 that once he met Jesus, he, he stopped trusting in his own accomplishments, as impressive as they were, he tossed out his self-righteousness like so much garbage, and he put his confidence in Yeshua's righteousness. And why did he do that? Picking up in verse 8. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now don't miss that. 
not the righteousness of my own that comes from flawlessly performing a list of religious activities, but the righteousness from God that comes through faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It's almost like Paul's in a sailboat and, and like singular, singularly focused on reaching a particular destination, the destination of knowing Jesus. So he's throwing everything overboard that would slow him down or send him off course. So everything that doesn't matter gets tossed in the sea. And for Paul, that included all his religious accomplishments and activities and credentials and accolades. It was all counted as loss. Because of his encounter with Jesus, because he came face to face with the Lord himself, Paul exchanged his doing for knowing. He counted all the things that he did, his, his activities and credentials, as loss. And he exchanged them for the gain of knowing Jesus, for what he called in verse 8, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He reoriented his entire life around the person of Jesus. And this is where I was so convicted by Pastor Tony's sermon because I know that I need to do the same thing. I can get so caught up in learning about Jesus that I neglect the pursuit of knowing Jesus. And in that sense, Paul is a great model for us in terms of how to live out our faith, right? We need a complete reorientation around Jesus, not around Moses, not around the Torah, not around the law, around Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul wrote, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that should be our goal, too. So our Hebrew Roots friends keep the weekly Shabbat, and they don't eat pork, and they keep the annual feasts, and none of that stuff is bad, but none of that stuff earns us anything either. It doesn't add to our status in God's eyes. It doesn't make us more righteous or more mature or, or more blessed. Paul counted all that stuff as loss, as rubbish, compared to knowing Christ. And more than that, he shows us how dangerous it can be. Because what it can do, and, and I've witnessed this myself in the Hebrew Roots communities many times, it, what it does is it take our eyes and our focus off of Jesus and his gospel, and our confidence ever so subtly begins to shift away from the saving work of Christ and towards our religious or our moral performance. And if we're not careful, these artificial forms of Christianity, like, like Hebrew roots and Torahism, can sabotage our faith and our walk with Yeshua. Because the key to the Christian life isn't trying harder or, or performing better. It's trusting God and knowing Him. Again, Paul's goal, as he states in verse 8 and again in verse 10, is that I may know Him. Not that I may do more for Him. For Paul, it's no longer about doing, but about knowing. It's so easy in our human condition to prioritize doing things for God over knowing God. And I'm the chief sinner in that regard. I mean, it seems so unfair, even scandalous, that we don't need to do things in order for the living God to see us as righteous. We simply need to place our faith in Jesus. And we can be still and know that He's God. Right? It's tough to accept our righteousness for exactly what it is, a free gift given out of love. Our religious performance doesn't make us righteous. Yeshua's performance on the cross is what makes us righteous. So we need to be very careful that we're not following a list of religious do's and don'ts, 
and missing the heart of our Father. So the reminder for our Hebrew Roots friends, and for me personally, is let's not be so busy performing for God that we miss the real goal of knowing God. Thanks for watching. Shalom.